Good morning again, everybody. So glad to see you all here. Thank you for, for being here. Uh, if you're new with us, thank you for being here and for coming out this morning. And uh, we realize that not everyone walks into church doors all the time. And so uh, we want you to know that uh, our church is not a building. We're a family. This just happens to be the place where we meet. And so uh, thanks for being here. My name's Dan. I'm the lead pastor here. And if I've never met you, I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you and get to know you better. Uh, I'll normally hang out up here after the service for a few minutes. So, And then uh, also next week we have the uh, Meet the Leaders time, which will be in the lobby after the service for, for anybody who wants to hang out, grab some coffee, and talk for 15 minutes, and, and meet some of the people who, who are um, elected to lead the, the church uh, this year. And so we'd love for you to join us for that. If you look at the front of your bulletin, um, you see that we put our church purpose statement on there, which says... Cedar Home Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered worship, community, service, and multiplication. And with this purpose statement, we, uh, we're not only trying to, we, we are not trying to communicate something revolutionary or something groundbreaking. Instead, uh, we're trying to clearly and accurately communicate the mission that God gives to his people in his word. In the first century in, in Jerusalem, the Jewish Supreme Court, which was called the Sanhedrin, was strongly opposed to the rapidly growing Christians. And the Sanhedrin had, had recently just convinced the, the Romans to put Jesus to death for, for being a blasphemer and for being a threat to their political position. And so these Jewish leaders were extremely aggravated that even though they had had Jesus killed, uh, everybody was now talking about him. And they, they, were, they were talking about his resurrection from the dead, and people were talking about seeing him and feeling him and having meals with him. And, and lots of people in Jerusalem were becoming Christ followers. And so getting rid of Jesus didn't solve their problem at all. And, and one of the most esteemed Jewish Supreme Court members named Gamaliel, he proposed an interesting situation to deal with these Christians. Gamaliel suggested that even though it says in the Bible that the, the Sanhedrin, most of the members wanted to kill the Christians, Gamaliel said, let's just let them be. Just let them be. And he said that if, if the Christian movement uh, is not of God, then it's going to disintegrate just like all the other religious movements that we've seen come and go. And then he added, if, if it is of God, then it's going to be impossible to get rid of these Christians anyway because God's going to be behind them. And so Gamaliel's proposition, it begged this question, how could you determine whether God was behind the Christians? And for those of us who trusted Jesus today in 2018, how can we know whether God is behind us or behind what we're doing? Because Gamaliel is right. If, if God is not behind what we are doing as Christians, then all of our efforts are going to fall apart in the end. And God himself affirms this in Psalm 127. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders build in vain. If God is not behind our building plan, then what we are building is going to crumble. 
However, if God is behind our plan as a church to, uh, to, to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered uh, worship and community and service and multiplication, if he's behind it, then nothing will ever be able to overthrow us. If you have your Bible with you, then please turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll, uh, we'll put the words on the screen. And if you want a Bible, let us know. We'd love to give you one. And before we read from, from God's Word, uh, which we, we believe that God's Word is not just a book like any other book, but God says that this is actually breathed out by His Holy Spirit. This is His living Word. It's living and active. Um, before we read this, uh, we're going to do something a little different. I invite you to join me in saying the Lord's Prayer uh, together, which we'll put on the screen. This is a, a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 5. And I'm going to read 12 through verse 42. So this is in Jerusalem, right? Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the synod of the people of Israel, this is the Sanhedrin again, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 
But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Amen. It's the Lord's word. So, and there's a lot of things happening in this passage. So we're going to plan to spend the next couple weeks talking about it. Next Sunday, we're going to look at what these verses have to say about being persecuted for faith in Jesus. But today we want to answer Gamaliel's question. Is the plan of Christians of man or is it of God? Is the message and mission of Christianity man-made or is it God-made? And how do we know? Well, of course, I would think most of us in here believe that the message and mission and and plan of true Christianity is is God-made and not man-made. But we need to see that from the Bible. And today's passage gives us seven reasons why we know our plan is of God. Seven reasons why we know our plan is of God. First, our message is about God's saving work and not our own. Our message is about God's saving work and not our own. The the central message of Christianity is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message that we believe in order to receive eternal life from God. This is the message of a God's grace. This is the message which we get to preach to ourselves every day with joy. This, This is the message that the angel of the Lord told the apostles to preach here in verse 20 when the angel said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And then in verses 30 to 31, the apostles tell the Sanhedrin, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him from a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And then later in verse 42, it says, and every day in the temple... And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching this message. 
that the Christ is Jesus. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ does not tell people that God wants you to get your life right and you're not doing it and you need to get it done or else you're going to hell. Instead, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells people that God does want you to get your life right and you're not doing it on your own and you can't do it on your own. And you need Jesus to help you get your life and your eternity in order. Just like 31 says uh, here, all of us need to repent, okay? It, which, that means to turn away from our lives of sin, our lives without God, and to turn to Jesus who loves us because he is God and only God can forgive our sins. And so Jesus commands you and the whole world to trust in him and to trust in, in what he's done, which you and I couldn't do to trust in his perfect life that he lived on earth without sin because, get this, he wants to transfer his perfection to your eternal account. It's like you have a bank account and you have zero and he's got everything. He wants to take the everything and make it yours. And that happens when you repent and trust in Jesus for eternal life. When God looks at you, now, today, and when you meet him face to face, do you want God to see your sin and your past and your guilt now and forever? Or would you rather have God see the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus when he looks at you now and forever? If that's what you want, then trust in Jesus and not in yourself. And God will give you his Holy Spirit to help you clean up your life on earth and to learn to live a life honorable to him according to his word. And we also see that the gospel of Jesus Christ does, uh, it does not give you a list of all the good things you can do in order to be confident that you're going to heaven. No, the, the gospel says that no matter how many good things you do, you can have no confidence that you're going to heaven unless your confidence is in Jesus alone. Amen. Hear that? So as Christians, yes, we want to, to, to follow the example of Jesus. And that's what Jesus does in our heart when he saves us. He gives us a heart for him and for the things he loves. And as Christians, we want to outdo one another in love and good works. But... None of those good works make us more acceptable to God. They don't add an iota of what Jesus accomplished on the cross to what Jesus accomplished. So we are only acceptable to God if we're covered with Jesus. We're covered with Jesus and his blood. If we've trusted in him alone, it says that he, in Colossians it says, he hides us in himself. He hides us in himself. And at the same time here on earth, he hides himself in us. It's an awesome picture. He makes us pleasing to God. And so, yeah, we can have assurance that we're going to heaven in Jesus and not in ourselves, though. The Christian message is about what God has done to save us eternally. It's not about what we can do or what we have done to, to rescue ourselves from, from what we've done and from who we are. And so our message, what this means is, our message is entirely different from every other 
religious system or philosophical way of thinking, even people who claim to have no religion, because we don't believe that our good works can save us from the brokenness in our lives and from the brokenness around us. We do believe we're hopeless unless we have a savior. Rather, we, we believe the only way to be restored, the only way to, uh, to have abundant life is by trusting the living God, Jesus Christ, and trusting in his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross for us, and in his victorious resurrection from the dead. That's our faith, and that's our hope. And this message is of God's work and not our own. Second, our mission came from God and not men. Our mission as a church came from God and not from men. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. And then this is kind of coupled with what Jesus tells the apostles in Acts 1.8, where he says, right before he ascends to heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So until the future day when Jesus returns to earth, his mission for you and for me and for Christians everywhere is to go be Jesus' witnesses to the world and to make disciples of all peoples on planet earth baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded us. This is why the heart of our church purpose statement says that we at Cedar Home want to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus. And this is also why in, in this passage today, Peter and the apostles tell the Sanhedrin a second time, I'm sorry, but we can't stop being witnesses for Jesus. We, we can't stop making disciples of Jesus because that's what Jesus told us to do. And we must obey God rather than men. So this vision and, and our mission of global disciple making did not come from man, but it came from God. And as Christians, we're not out for world domination. We're out for world transformation. We want people from all people groups and languages to hear the gospel of Jesus and to, to turn from their sin and to trust in Jesus for eternal life and to know true peace and true life and true freedom. We want to see Jesus rescue people from sin and then he will transform their lives on earth and their relationships and their communities for the glory of God's name. This mission is from God, not from us. Third, our Savior Jesus has many witnesses appointed by God. Jesus has many witnesses appointed by God. <clears throat> in the ancient Jewish world, witnesses were required in order to establish the, the truthfulness of a person's claim. And this was especially important in a court of law. And that's why in John chapter 5, Jesus lists out all of the different types of witnesses that testify that he is God. 
And in today's passage, as the apostles stand in the court of the Sanhedrin, it's important for them to establish uh, witnesses to, to support their message and their mission. And right off the bat, Peter points to some very strong witnesses for support. In verse 32, Peter tells the Sanhedrin, we are witnesses to the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So imagine this. Peter's probably standing there in front of these 70-some this council of 70-some men. He's probably standing there alongside the rest of the apostles in one united front. And there were a whole bunch of other Christians just outside who also had seen Jesus die and rise again. This is significant because it means that right from the beginning of Christianity, the claim that Jesus rose from the dead was never affirmed by just a few select people. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses, the Bible says, to Jesus' death and resurrection. And also, the claim that Jesus rose from the dead did not start with secondary sources. The apostles aren't saying they heard that Jesus rose from the dead. The apostles are saying they saw Jesus rise from the dead. They physically touched his resurrected body. They talked with him. They shared meals with him. They walked along the beach with him. That's a powerful witness. You got 12 of them right there. And in addition to the eyewitness testimonies of the apostles, uh, the rest and the rest of the Christians outside, right, of this court, Peter adds in verse 32 that God the Holy Spirit is also a witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit is witnessing to the resurrected Jesus by doing all of these signs and wonders through the apostles. The supernatural things being done in and through the apostles wasn't of them. This was Jesus Christ working by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening. And in addition to the witness of the Holy Spirit, Peter says that God the Father is a witness to their mission and message. God the Father gave Jesus the authority to send the Holy Spirit to earth. God the Father is the one who testified to Jesus when he exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. And so what this means is that if Jesus' words about himself were not convincing enough that he is God, then we can also look to words and actions of God the Father and the Holy Spirit who both testify that Jesus is the savior of the world. You know, if you meet somebody, <clears throat> when you meet somebody, if, if and when you meet somebody who says, just show me proof. Show them the same proof that Peter showed them. Just open this passage and say this. If this isn't enough for anybody, it's not going to be enough. Right? There's always, I just need a sign. I need another miracle. I started thinking, if the cross isn't good enough for you, nothing ever will be. That's the truth. God has given us many witnesses. And so, and so the apostles and the Christians and God the Holy Spirit and, and God the Father are the primary witnesses that Peter pointed out in order to support what the Christians were doing. But then think about this. We know that he could have pointed to a lot of other witnesses for support. Peter could have point, pointed to the angel of the Lord who had just freed them from prison. He could have pointed to the jail keepers. I would have loved to have heard those conversations what was going in on their, on, 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 on their little lunch break. Um, this happened on their watch. They were dumbfounded when they learned that, that 
these guys who they were supposed to be watching all night, they're out in the court preaching and the doors are still locked. And, and Peter could have pointed to the Sanhedrin themselves. He could have pointed to these people in front of him as witnesses who only one chapter earlier admitted to the undeniability of the miraculous things the apostles were doing in the name of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a historically unreliable or primitive or delusional message. All of Western history revolves around the historical gospel of Jesus Christ. And our Savior Jesus has many witnesses, both physical and spiritual in nature. So remember, we're drawing out from this passage seven reasons why we know that the Christian plan is of God. And the fourth reason is that our help is from God. Our help is from God. As we talked about last week, uh, supernatural signs and wonders do not replace the gospel, do not replace the message, do not depreciate the authority of Scripture. Rather, God performs signs and wonders to witness to the truthfulness and rightness of the message of the gospel. It's kind of like when Peter and John and James joined Jesus on the top of that high mountain and uh, and Jesus' body was transfigured in front of them. And it says that his face began to shine like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And then this bright cloud overshadowed them. And God the Father spoke from the cloud. And he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So God spoke to the apostles in that cloud in order to validate Jesus and his message, in order to say, listen to Jesus. He's telling you the truth. And this is what signs and wonders and other evidences of God's grace do for Christians and non-Christians. They help us. They, they tell us that this gospel message and the mission of God is right. So we should trust Jesus and obey him. And in today's passage, we see God helping the Christians carry out this mission in a number of ways, right? Obviously, in verses 12 to 16, it shows that God was doing all sorts of signs and wonders and healings to, to help their gospel preaching. And also, we know that the reason the apostles preached the gospel in the uh, Jewish temple with such courage and boldness was why? Remember? They, they asked him for help. They said, well, you give us courage and boldness to, to preach this word. And we read in Acts 4, 29 to 30, that he responded by giving them courage and boldness to keep preaching the word. And then when the apostles are put in prison for preaching the gospel, who shows up to help them? An angel of the Lord, okay? This isn't some random angel that showed up and decided to do the apostles a favor. This is an angel of the Lord sent by the Lord to free the apostles from the prison by the power of the Lord in the name of the Lord. The Bible says the angels do the Lord's bidding. <laughs> and then soon after that, when the apostles were miraculously preaching back in the Jewish temple at sunrise and the jail was still locked up, what happened? Everybody could see that the Lord was behind us. The Lord was behind the apostles, behind their message, and behind their miracles. So God's mission for his people uh, does not mainly happen by the power of his people, although it does happen through his people. 
It happens mainly by the power of God. God helps us as we pray. He helps us as we read the Bible. He helps us as we're talking to other people about Jesus. He, he helps us as we love others in his name, because we can't do that on our own. Jesus helps us. Fifth, our fruitfulness is from God. Our fruitfulness is from God. As, as Christians, right, we wanna, we wanna prayerfully and lovingly obey um, the Lord as we rest in the gospel, which, which means that we know that we don't do it perfectly, but we trust that Jesus died and, and forgave us for that and that he gave us the credit for having done it perfectly. We rest in the gospel. That's what fuels us to go do good works, knowing that our salvation doesn't rest on it. Um, and as we do that, we leave the results of our ministry efforts in God's hands. Hear that? We, we cannot make ourselves love the Lord. Only he can. So if you love the Lord, it's because he has grown the fruit of love for him in your life. We can't make ourselves want to serve the Lord. The Bible says we can't serve the Lord without his strength. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will, to want, and to work for his good pleasure. I mean, we, you know, as we're telling people about Jesus, we can't, we can't make anybody trust in Jesus. Only the Lord can. Only the Lord makes people born again. Faith in Jesus is the fruit of God's gracious, regenerating, faithful work in a person's heart. And so as we live on mission for the Lord, we must remember that any and all fruit that may come as a result of our efforts are because of his grace alone and not ours. This is important to remember in a society which especially values the bottom line and numbers as the main indicator of success. Jesus wasn't primarily concerned about that. If you look at his ministry, how many, he had thousands of people following. Who are the people he, he's amazed at in his ministry? You only see him, it says it a couple times, he's amazed at people who trust him. And there weren't many who trusted him by the time he went to the cross. There's only a handful with him. And so we need to remember that what fruitful ministry really looks like, what help, healthy ministry looks like. We praise God for numbers because we want to see as many people as possible, hear the gospel and trust in it. But ultimately, um, it's in God's hands. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 7, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Isn't that awesome? It's all about God. All the growth, all our ministry fruitfulness comes from God according to his sovereign plan. And the apostles' ability to share the gospel with boldness in this court is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? The, the thing about the way the Christians were loving one another radically, sacrificially, which, which it says led the people around them to kind of be dumbstruck and, 
and to be to hold these Christians in high esteem. This love for one another was the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They were fruitful in love because it's only God who gives the growth in love and holiness. And the fact that multitudes of men and women were born again through faith in Jesus was entirely the fruit of the Lord. That's why Acts 5.14 says that when these people trusted in Jesus, they were added to whom? To the Lord. No one can add to the Lord's flock but the Lord. <laughs> That's how it happens. The Lord adds to his flock. Um, and that all the sick people who came to the apostles for healing at this time were healed. That's entirely the fruit of the Lord. Nobody but the Lord can supernaturally heal one person in the name of Jesus, let alone hundreds of hurting people. Wow. And then what happened to Christianity here? It just skyrocketed. The expansion of the gospel message and the mission from Jerusalem outward was entirely the work of the Lord. Sociologically, or historically, if you try to make a sense, uh, sense of this from a secular perspective outside of the Bible, it doesn't make sense. Christianity should not have survived. It shouldn't have. I mean, Jesus was awesome. He had thousands and thousands of followers. And then what happened? They didn't show up at the cross. They, they, a lot of them were, were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. The movement should have ended when Jesus died on the cross. But it didn't. Had Jesus not risen from the dead, there would be no Christianity. And look at how Jesus grew his church on earth. He used people with little or no money, little or no social power, and little or no education. And he did it this way so that the explosive growth of the church and the powerful, powerful things that happened among the Christians could only be credited to the resurrected Jesus. All of our spiritual and ministerial fruitfulness comes from God according to his sovereign timing and wisdom. Sixth, our mission's success has been predestined by God. Our mission's success has been predestined by God. In verse 38, when, when Gamaliel recognizes what the Christians are saying and doing in Jerusalem, he, he says that their plans will surely fail if they are man-made and not God-made. And even though God says in his heart that the, uh, God, sorry, God says in his word that the human heart uh, is naturally resistant to him and to his glory, I think it's still remarkable that Gamaliel and the other members of the Sanhedrin couldn't see at all that God was behind these miracles. It's amazing that they couldn't see the future trajectory of the Christian movement at all. Um, I mean, remember the, the members of the Sanhedrin had already been astonished, astonished by the healing of that blind man. And, and as well as it says they were, they were dumbstruck by the supernatural boldness and authoritative teaching of the apostles. But the reality is just like all of us were blinded to the glory of Jesus before he saved us, so also these Pharisees did not see the glory of God in Jesus. And they did not see the glory of God in these apostles. And of course they did not want the Christian church to keep growing. And, and now, you and I, we have the benefit of having the, the New Testament in our hands, right? Which the ancient world did not have yet. And so we are able to see in hindsight, until about the end of uh, the first century, right? Um, 
we have the advantage of, uh, of seeing these miraculous occurrences with hindsight and the fact that they were all pointing to the fact that God had already predestined the success of his church's mission to make disciples of all nations. The healings done in the name of Jesus by the apostles were pointing to the future reality uh, when all of Jesus' followers will be healed physically and spiritually forever. The appearance of the angel of the Lord to the apostles in prison and then the, the angel's command to keep preaching this gospel points us to the reality that the Lord will break through all man-made attempts to conceal his glorious gospel from the world. The Lord will use angels, miracles, people, whatever other means he chooses to use to take the gospel to all peoples of the earth. And the witnesses of the apostles and the Christians and, and God the Father and, and God the Holy Spirit reveal that the message and mission of Jesus is not man-made. It's God-made, and God will be the one to bring it to completion. And this is why the apostles have already twice declared in Acts that Jesus was crucified at the hands of lawless men according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven and now the conversion and transformation and expansion of his people is all happening according to God's predestined plan. Remember way back in Genesis 12, the beginning of the Bible, God took this man named Abram aside and he told him that he was going to bless all the families of the earth through Abram. And then Jesus came to earth thousands of years later in the direct lineage of Abram to save the Lord's people. And then the Apostle John received this vision of the future, which has yet to come in Revelation 7, 9 to 10. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we he see here that through the, through the gospel ministry of the apostles and of the early church, that the Lord was carrying out his promise to bless all peoples of the earth in Jesus Christ. And the Lord tells us that we should not doubt whether or not he will bring that future day of multiracial worship to completion. He predestined before the foundation of the earth that it would happen because he predestined before the foundation of the earth that Jesus would be our savior. In Isaiah 46, 8 to 11, the Lord says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Wow, that's awesome. And the seventh point today is that our glory is to God and not to us. 
The whole purpose of the Christian message and mission is not to say how great people are or how great Christians are, but how great God is. God is glorious. God is love. God is holy. God is just. God is awesome. All of the glory from all of our prayers and all of our ministry and all the evidences of God's grace in our lives should be directed to God. Who is the one whom God the Father exalted at his right hand and Savior? Jesus. And whose saving work is our gospel about? God. And who gave us our mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? God. And who testifies to us that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ? God. And who gives us help to do gospel ministry? God. And who makes our gospel ministry fruitful? God. And who has predestined the success of the mission of the church? God. God is the one responsible for all of this mind-blowing, redemptive work, and he deserves all the glory. This is why the Apostle Paul exclaims at the end of Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then if we jump back to John's vision of the future day of Christ's return, this is what he writes. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So let me review the seven reasons from today's passage why we know our plan is of God. First, our message is about God's saving work and not our own. Second, our mission came from God and not men. Third, our Savior Jesus has many witnesses appointed by God. Fourth, our help is from God. Fifth, our fruitfulness is from God. Sixth, our mission success has been predestined by God. And seventh, our glory is to God and not to ourselves. The most exciting thing, the most worthwhile thing, the most glorious thing that you and I could ever be a part of during our lives on earth is to join God on his mission to make disciples of Jesus of all peoples of the earth. That is the central thing we're trying to accomplish here at Cedar Home, and we hope to do it all for the glory of God's name. Let's pray. Lord, we glorify you, we point to you, we just magnify you, we exalt you, we just, all grace and mercy is of you and not of us. Thank you, God, for doing for us what um, we couldn't do for ourselves and what we wouldn't do for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for living a life without sin for us. Thank you, Lord, for, for going to the cross, offering your life up to the cross, to become sin and to suffer the wrath of God toward our sin for us so that we might not suffer in hell for eternity for it. 
Thank you for putting our sin to death and our guilt and shame to death and your death. Thank you for rising from the dead in glory as we exalt you for being the true God and as we celebrate what's going to happen to us someday, that uh, we have eternal life in Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. Um, Lord, please help us to get a, a grander picture of you, a bigger picture of you, not a small vision of you. Help us, Lord, to get a bigger picture of your mission for each of our lives and for our church together on earth. This is not a place we come to burn an hour on Sunday morning. This is the mission headquarters where we come and get fellowship and worship together and serve together and then go out to multiply disciples together for your glory where we live. Please give us boldness and courage to do that. Please make our trademark love, your love, Jesus. The same love you've shown us, may we show it to one another. We pray this all for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen.